Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? Well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up. Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lynn Baez, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. Good morning, good afternoon, bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports, que pasa mi amigo, mi amo Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports, konnichiwa, shalom, wassalam, alaikum, namaste, all that good stuff, welcome to Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, a lot of great things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports, before I do, as always, I'd like to say, anywhere where you're listening to this podcast, I heart iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, wherever, do me a favor, will you? Download, subscribe, rate, review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast. If you could do that for me, man, it would make me the happiest human being walking the earth, man. That's no lie. So Wendell's World of Sports, special dedication for those who are listening. Thank you so much. Right now, I'm recording this on a Thursday afternoon, right in the middle of the Indiana Pacers-Milwaukee Bucks basketball game in the in-season tournament out here in Vegas. Wanted to congratulate the final four, shall we say, for this tournament. Indiana Pacers, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the Los Angeles Lakers and the uh, New Orleans Pelicans who have made it to the final four. I want to uh, send special dedication for the players who, as I mentioned before in my last podcast, I, I didn't think that they would take it as seriously as they're doing. I got to give it up to these guys. I thought they would take this mainly somewhere between an all-star game and maybe a summer league game. But it seems to me, regardless of who wins this tournament, whether it be the Lakers, the Pelicans, the Pacers, or the Bucks, man, something tells me that these guys are going to be uh, hyped when they win this in-season championship. Now, I know these games count in terms of the uh, regular season, so I thought that maybe the... The, the, the passion, maybe the level of intensity would be higher than an all-star game. But I'm shocked and I'm surprised, especially uh, with uh, a team like the um, Indiana Pacers, who they're, they're playing this like this is their NBA championship. Now, I know that the Pacers are one of the young and up-and-coming teams. I know Tyrese Halliburton. I remember this summer when I was speaking about the um, Olympic team or the team that was going to be participating in the World Games for the divided, ignorant, racist states of America for this country. And I was speaking about the players who really would be able to take advantage, if they wanted to take advantage, in terms of introducing themselves at the next great player in the NBA. If you take a look at some of the great players from the other generation, they're getting, they're getting old. They're getting very long in the tooth. LeBron, 38, 39 years old. His generation, 
James Harden, Russell Westbrook, all of these guys on the other side of 30, some are 32, some are 34, some are 36, some are 38. There needs to be some new blood. Who's going to be the next guy that's not Giannis, that's not Luka, that's not Nikola Jokic, that's not Joel Embiid? Which American is going to be that guy in their early 20s? Which player is going to be that guy? That's going to take the torch from a Kevin Durant. That's going to take the torch from a Steph Curry. That's going to take the torch from a LeBron James. That's going to take the torch from one of these guys who have already situated themselves for their generation as one of the greatest players who've ever played the game or one of the greatest players of their generation. Which one of the next generation and the generation after that coming into this league that's been in the league five years or younger, which one is going to be that guy that's going to introduce themselves as the new LeBron, as the new Steph Curry, as the new Kevin Durant, as the new American superstar for the game that has long been a staple, long been a symbol, has long been uh, synonymous with greatness when you speak about American basketball players or Americans and the game of basketball. It's been kind of hijacked a little bit over the past couple of years when you speak about Joel Embiid coming from Africa, um, Giannis coming from Greece, Luka coming over from Slovenia, and uh, Nikola Jokic coming over from Serbia. Those, those guys have really situated themselves as the top tier, the cream of the crust, the fruit of the loom, if I could throw out those cliches, at the best players in the NBA. And you still have the players from uh, Canada, the country of Canada, when you speak of, say, Shea Gilgis Alexander and his ascension to one of the best players in the league. And now we have the incoming phenom who's supposed to be the next phenom, who's supposed to be the next LeBron, who's supposed to be the next Shaq, who's supposed to be the next Magic, who's supposed to be the next Bird, who's supposed to be the next LeBron, who's supposed to be the next MJ when you speak about Victor Wembignana, a man from France, a man from Paris not an American basketball player. So which one of the younger American basketball players is going to separate themselves and announce themselves as being one of the faces of the league? This was a long, long rambling way to say that Tyrese Halliburton seems to be that guy. I think Anthony Edwards is a guy during the summer who was willing and able to make that jump, especially in the early season that he's been playing, the way the Minnesota Timberwolves have gotten off to a very quick start. Um, But uh, Tyrese Halliburton is the other guy that came from the world team that has introduced himself as a guy who, uh, young in the NBA, but is going to be growing into one of the Great, uh, one of the better basketball players who've played in this game when everything is all said and done, if he continues the ascension that he seems to be on from um, when he got traded from Sacramento to Indiana and then the World Games and now starting off in his um, uh, starting off the season in the NBA. The guy that's going to be, as we say, taking the torch from Chris Paul and Kevin Durant. And I just wanted to mention Chris Paul in that uh, dissertation. So, yeah, so I'm uh, really uh, interested to see these games, very interested to see uh, how Indiana is going to really take this, even if they don't win it, even if they lose to Milwaukee. But how do they um, take this performance? How do they take this positive performance? How do they take um, what they're doing right now and blend that into the rest of the regular season in a still somewhat top-heavy Eastern Conference with Boston clearly 
the best team in that conference, followed by Philadelphia. We don't know about Milwaukee and such, but a team like Indiana, how are they going to take the momentum that they've had from this tournament, win or lose this in-season tournament, and parlay that to success in the regular season? Are they going to be what the Sacramento, are they going to be this season what the Sacramento Kings were last season in the Western Conference in terms of moving up a couple of notches, superseding expectations to uh, really do some things and then start that ascent on a higher plane? Like the Sacramento Kings, I think Sacramento with the uh, with De'Aaron Fox and um, Sabonis, uh, they um, elevated their game. They, they they elevated their process in terms of what they want to be. Mike Brown winning the Coach of the Year last year, but they elevated their process to expectations being much higher after what happened last season. If the Indiana Pacers are going to do what the Sacramento Kings did last year. Then again, we're speaking about a situation where in the Eastern Conference, not as loaded as the Western Conference, the move for Indiana becoming a conference title contender will be a much will be much quicker than, say, the Sacramento Kings, who still have to go through Dallas, who still have to go through Denver, who still have to go through Phoenix, who still have to go through Minnesota, who still have to go through the Clippers, who still have to go through the Lakers, who still have to go through all of these teams to uh, get where they want to go. In 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 contrast, Indiana, you take a look at their main competition being Boston, Philadelphia, Milwaukee. And, and such. So we'll we'll see what happens. So yeah, man, wanted to uh, go ahead and start the po- start the podcast. I've got a lot of stuff to be speaking about with my college uh, college football takes, and also end the show with the uh, NFL. But I wanted to get my Halle Berry. I wanted to get my Layla Roshan. I wanted to get my Selma Hayek. I wanted to get my Monica Bellucci. I wanted to get the loves of my life. I wanted to get my favorite sport, my wifey, in terms of sports is concerned the NBA, some shine, and some love. And, of course, before I get to college football, hold on, man, hold on. You know I got to get this out of my system. Hold on, I'll get to them. I'll get to my thoughts and feelings about college football. Hold on, but, of course, you know after last um, Saturday, I've got to say something about the true loves of my life when it comes to sports teams, right? Till death do what part. When you're speaking about the love that I have for my Georgetown Hoyas, my Hoyas in this situation again, being compared again to the loveliness, the sexiness, the wonderfulness of a Bellucci, of a Barry, of a Vivica A. Fox, of a Jada Fire, and all those type of honeys. You know I'm going to be speaking about the love of my life. My dream team, the Georgetown Hoyas, falling short, being robbed against TCU. That's okay. Here's the deal, though. Here's why... While Saturday, last Saturday, I was not, I was not the cheeriest, I was not the happiest after I saw that prayer being answered by TCU. Here's why I didn't go out and murder somebody. Here's why I didn't go out and commit a felony against somebody. Here's why I didn't go out and commit a violent felony on somebody. Number one, I've matured. Number one, A, I don't really want to go to jail. But also... This season with my Hoyas and Coach Cooley at Cooley, this is not about making the NCAA tournament. This is not about being a top 20 or 25 teams. This is none of that because Georgetown is not good enough to reach those type of expectations in year one of the rebuilding process of this program. This program has been beat down, torn up, 
over 10 years. I shouldn't say over 10 years. Probably since about 2014, 15. Ever since they lost the Florida Gulf Coast. So I'm thinking 2013. So yeah, we're looking at a 10-year stretch where the Georgetown Hoya Hoya program has been reduced to rubble, has been reduced to irrelevancy, has been reduced to no one cares, has been reduced to an embarrassment, has been reduced to ineptitude, has been reduced to nothing. You don't turn that into something overnight. You don't take chicken shit and turn it into chicken salad overnight. I don't give a damn who you have in there. You could have hired Rick Bettino. You could have hired John Calipari. You could have hired Bill Self. You could have hired anybody. You could have dug up, dug up the graves of John McClellan and 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 and, um, and John Wooden and Hank Iba and resuscitated them. Got the, got the Holy Spirit in them to make them human again and put them on the sideline with this Georgetown Hoya basketball team. They ain't going nowhere. There ain't no coach out there living dead, past, present, future that was going to do anything in, turn of, in terms of one year making Georgetown relevant again. You could have dug up John Thompson, my hero, my man, Coach Thompson, the man that I always dreamed of playing for. Just didn't have the talent and whatever. But uh, yeah, you could put him back on the sidelines. There wasn't anything that he could do to resuscitate this team to where they're going to be, to where he was doing this thing. So for me, it's not about wins or losses because whether they would have beaten TCU or lost to TCU, that's not for me really the, the, the main thing or the main name of the game. Do I want Georgetown to win all their basketball games? Well, yes, of course I do. But I'm realistic in knowing that they're not going to and knowing that this is a rebuilding season. So here's... What I want to see, win or lose, from my Georgetown Hoyas. Competency, defense, fight, togetherness, belief, competence. That's all I want. And if that, and if that means oh, an improvement throughout the year, as the team continues to gel, the team creates chemistry, the team gets to uh, know each other, and have a foundation set. I think that foundation can be set with Jalen Epps. I think that foundation can be set with Dontrez Styles. I think that foundation can be set with Drew Fielder. I think that foundation can be set with Ryan Brombaugh. I think that foundation can be set so when we come in with that top 10 recruiting class that we already have, and we come in next season with Drew McKenna, and we come in next season with uh, Thomas Sober, and we come in next season with Caleb Williams, and we come in next season with the four uh, recruits that we have, Kelvin uh, Mulberry, who who we have, who we've already uh, signed and committed to. So when we come in for year two, that foundation that Cooley is trying to set will be strong and be able to then start talking about NIT, start talking about competing in the Big East for real. But as for this season, it's all about, again, I want to see fight, I want to see belief, I want to see competence, and I want to see improvement. And in that game against TCU, in the second half, where we came out lethargic, where we came out sloppy, where we came out unfocused, when we came out unprepared, and we fell by and we fell down by I believe fourteen points. I hate to say it because Patrick Ewing is my guy, player and coach, but last season, the season before that, we would have quit. 
we would have that that team after being down down by 14 with about 15 16 minutes left to go in the uh, second half we would have lost by 25 or 30 we would not have shown the fight we would not have shown the heart we would not have shown the tangibles the intangibles that we showed uh last saturday to get ourselves back into a game especially against a team like tcu and I was looking at the game saying, hey, man, win or lose. The fact that the student section is there, the fact that we got some fan base there, the fact that they're seeing this Georgetown team not quit, not roll over, and fight the way they did before the referees robbed that game from us showed me that, hey, man, we're on the right track. So that quelled some of my anger when um, TCU hit that shot at the end of the uh, game for TCU to steal that victory with the help of the referee. So, yeah, there we go. So, yeah. So, I'm, I'm feeling good. I got my NBA out of the way. The Clippers, watch the Clippers and Nuggets game. Um, a lot of bad refereeing in the uh, NBA, but um, watch the Clippers. I'm going to be watching them play in person on uh, Monday against the Portland Trailblazers. They're playing a lot better. James Harden is getting himself back in the shape. Russell Westbrook is coming off the bench. Beat Denver last night. Nikola Jokic had one of his worst shooting nights, probably his worst shooting night of his career. And people are speaking about, man, Nikola Jokic, I mean, he's putting up big numbers in terms of points are concerned, but he's also putting up a lot of field goal attempts. What's up with that? Well, you know, they're, they're letting Nikola say, you know what, we're going to give you some field goal attempts, but we're not going to have Aaron Gordon. We're not going to have uh, Reggie Jackson. We're not going to have Michael Porter Jr. We're not going to have Contavious Caldwell-Pope uh, get into their thing. And it also, uh, because of the some of the early season injuries that Denver had, when you speak about um, Jamal Murray missing games because of injury, a shin injury to Aaron Gordon caused him to miss some games. It's a situation where Jokic had to take a little bit more responsibility of the offense. And last uh, night against the Clippers, it was just a bad game. So been watching my fair share of NBA basketball and watching my watching my uh, Wizards uh, do their thing and lose and all that good stuff. So yeah, man, so I'm, I'm glad I got my, <clears throat> glad I got my NBA fix. And I'm glad I got my Georgetown Hoya fixed before I got into speaking about what's going on in college football. And for that, I want to thank you so, so very much. Let's go ahead. Let's talk about the college football playoffs. They're set. The top four teams, Michigan, Washington, Texas, and Alabama. The college football championship schedule, playoff schedule. Looks like this on Monday, January 1st, 2024. Sugar Bowl is going to have Texas versus Washington. That's going to be the late game. The early game or the in the game in the evening out here is going to be, what, around 5.45 or something like that out here? Or I don't know, 2.45, I don't know, Pacific Standard Time. The Rose Bowl is going to be Alabama and Michigan taking a look at some of the best exhibition games. Oops, I mean bowl games. You have the Orange Bowl on Saturday, December 30th. That's going to be Florida State and Georgia. I'll get to that in a second. Peach Bowl, the same day, Penn State and Mississippi. Cotton Bowl, Friday, December 29th, Ohio State and Missouri. Alamo Bowl on the 28th. Thursday, that's going to be Oklahoma versus Arizona. And the Celebration Bowl, one of the bowls that I'm going to be interested in on December 16th. It's going to be the Howard University Bisons, Northwest, Georgia Avenue, 
Washington, D.C., Howard University, versus Florida A&M. That's going to be in Hotlanta. That's going to be in Blacklanta, Atlanta, Georgia. So some other games. I always, when I take a look at the schedule, look, I really have no interest in bowl games. I just think that most of them are just exhibition games. Really doesn't mean anything. And I always try to equate what the pros would do in this situation. Could you imagine after playing 17 games that the teams that didn't make the playoffs participated in a bowl game or because I always like to speak about the stupidity of college football and the fact when they didn't have a playoff next season, they're finally going to have a playoff, but this, but the stupidity and the nonsense of bowl games in itself, where um, probably the only sport I guess you could say in college football, where, you have more than one winner, right? Because we always say in sports, well, if you don't win, you have the team that won the championship and then the rest are losers. Or you have the team that won the championship and the others are, are in second place, right? It really doesn't matter if you make it to the Super Bowl. If you lose the Super Bowl, it really means nothing. All it says is that you didn't win the Super Bowl. There's no, there, there's, there's no participation trophy. There's no orange slices. There's no... Uh, handshakes, there's no, uh, none of that stuff, right? There's, there's none of that. You either win the championship, get the jewels, or you're a loser, right? Well, college football is one of the few, if not the only sport that I know of off the top, top of my head where you can still be cheering, you can still raise a trophy, you can still be pointing number one, you can still be having a good time after the season ends by winning something that's not a championship, that's not a national championship. So in that regard, fantastic, wonderful. The quote-unquote student-athletes get something whoop-de-doo-dah, or as Derek Coleman said when he was with the New Jersey Nets, well, whoop-de-damn-do. You won yourself the Alamo Bowl. Well, whoop-de-damn-do. You won yourself the Hungarian Bowl. Well, whoop-de-damn-do. You won yourself the Toilet Bowl. Well, whoop-de-doo. But, but, but it's needed because these coaches want to be able to put on their resume, hey, you know what, I took my team to the uh, bowl games. If a coach gets fired... And he's looking for another gig. A college coach gets fired and he's looking for another gig. He can go to the team that he's interviewing for and say, hey, you know what? Um, Five of the seven years I've been a coach, I've gotten my team to a bowl game. Now, the bowl game could be the inconsequential bowl, the no one cares bowls, the no one's watching bowl, the no one's going to the game bowl, the we're too bad to really do anything with our lives bowl. But it doesn't matter. Because a bowl is a bowl. So that always looks good on a resume for a college coach or an assistant coordinator or a uh, position coach who are looking to move up in his in his choice of profession. And also, it gives the players maybe something else, one more shot to uh, help their costs. If you're a senior and you're looking to go to the NFL, I mean, the bowl game will maybe give you one more opportunity to put your, to put your abilities on tape for uh, for an agent or for a team that's looking to draft you or for a team that's looking to invite you if you're not uh, if you're not drafted on on draft days, so th- those things I understand, but I'm just thinking to myself, you know, <laughs> as I mentioned before, if I were a football player, and if I were a college football player, right, where where and I'm not playing for a national championship, and I'm not going to the NFL. Maybe I'm a sophomore or a junior or freshman or whatever, but I, I, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to the NFL. Where, where exactly would I like to play a bowl game or what bowl game would I like to play? 
Because everybody talks about, oh, the joy and the dream of going to a bowl game. Really? If Wendell Wallace was an 18 to 22-year-old football player, college football player playing for State U or whatever, the only games, taking a look at this now, taking a look at the amount of games, or taking a look at the games where they're going to be playing, the only games that I would have an inkling of interest in playing would be on Saturday, December 23rd, the Hawaii Bowl. You've got Coastal Carolina playing San Jose State. I would also be interested in playing in the Boca Raton Bowl because Lord knows before we played on uh, December 21st, I'd be going down to the beach saying hello to the honeys. So the Boca Raton Bowl, so lucky Syracuse and South Florida for being able to participate again. If I was 18 to 22 single doing my thing, being a football player, where would I like to be hanging out to play a bowl game? Uh, Hawaii, yes, and Boca Raton, Florida, hell yeah. My favorite bowl, though, my favorite bowl always was, and I always considered the teams that weren't playing for the national championship, the team that was playing in this bowl the luckiest. I didn't give a damn if you were playing in the Rose Bowl. I don't give a damn if you were playing in the Orange Bowl, the the New Year's, the New Year's Six-Day Bowl, whatever, the bowl games. For me, if you weren't playing in the national championship game and you wanted to go to a bowl game, or you had to go to a bowl game. I'm not interested in the Sugar Bowl. I'm not interested in the Cotton Bowl. I'm not interested in the Alamo Bowl. I wanted to play in the Bahamas Bowl out there, out there in Nassau, Bahamas. Give me that game, man. Give me the opportunity to go out to Nassau, Bahamas in the middle of December or in late December, especially if I'm from one of these cold weather places. Hell yeah, man. I'm the, 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 the Alamo Bowl. The Peach Bowl, the, I don't know, the, the Cotton Bowl, fuck that, man. Give me the Bahamas Bowl. Now, I guess because the Bahamas Bowl, there's renovations going on at the uh, stadium in Nassau that they're going to move the game to Charlotte, North Carolina. Could you imagine some shit like that? That We, we were invited to go to the Bahamas Bowl, but because they're doing some structures, because they're doing some renovations on the stadium out there in, in Nassau, Instead of going out there, I got to go play in Charlotte. Uh, uh, but some of these bowls just crack me up, man. How would you like to be playing in the New Mexico Bowl in Albuquerque, New Mexico? Why in the fuck would I want to go to Albuquerque, New Mexico? The Myrtle Beach Bowl in Conrad, South Carolina. Yeah, the black man, that's where I want to be playing in Conrad, South Carolina. Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana. Yeah, that's great. Wonderful. Isn't that where Sean Gillis, the uh, serial killer out there, isn't that where he uh, used to reside and do a thing in Shreveport, Louisiana? Exactly what the hell am I going to do in Shreveport, Louisiana, 18 to 22 years old? The Frisco Bowl in Frisco, Texas. The Birmingham and Camilla Bowl in Birmingham and Montgomery, Alabama. Other than taking a look and seeing what civil rights stuff, if they have a museum or any of that type of stuff, why in the hell would I want to be spending any time when I'm 18 to 22, or I don't know, 52 to 54, why in the hell would I want to be spending my holiday season? Why in the hell do I want to be spending it in Birmingham or Montgomery, Alabama? Uh, no thanks. No disrespect for those who are living in Birmingham and Montgomery, Alabama, but I ain't interested in no damn Birmingham or Montgomery, Alabama. No. You sent me out to the Bahamas. Send me over to Hawaii. How about this one, man? How about, how about, how about this one? Yeah, instead of going to Nassau, instead of going to Boca Raton, 
Uh, let me go to the Idaho Potato Bowl. December 23rd in Boise, Idaho. Wow, that sounds like fun. That's wonderful. That's definitely where I want to go. Boise, Idaho in December. The Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit. Man, I'd be more interested in, in seeing up, going up and seeing Motown and seeing where Aretha Franklin used to live rather than uh, go over and, and play a, a, a bowl game in uh, Detroit. And these folks are wondering why these players who are draft eligible or are first-round draft draft picks or high draft picks, you're wondering why they have no interest in these bowl games? I mean, if you're a top round, if you're a, if you're going to be going in the top two or three rounds, if you're a first day draft pick, do you really want to waste your time playing in a bowl game in Montgomery, Alabama, where the stadium is probably going to be half full, or the Idaho Bowl, where the stadium's going to be half full, or the Detroit Bowl, or the Quick Lane Bowl, or whatever the hell that bowl is, where there's going to be nobody there? Nah, man, get me out of here, so... That's my deal. Bowls are for those who like to gamble. Congratulations. Wonderful. TV filler. It gives those on-air folks who do the sports talk shows and all that kind of stuff, it gives them a break to enjoy the holiday season. The ESPN anchors and the Sports Center anchors and all those other folks, those on-air talents, give them an opportunity to uh, take a break and hang out with their family, go on vacation and those type of things. So I understand why bowl games are there and I can understand the, um, I can understand why folks watch the bowl games, especially during the holiday seasons. But no, man, if I watch, this is my opportunity instead of watching a bowl game. This is my opportunity to uh, really get down with the uh, Food Network channel, watch some more Bobby Flays and watch the kitchen with Sonny Anderson and, Alex Gornishelli and Jeffrey Sakarian and, and those type of guys watch my shows on um, the Food Network channel and watch them shows on the ID channel and uh, the, the, the Crime Show channel and A&E channel. So uh, this gives me a little bit of a break. I still watch my basketball, still watch my college basketball, still watch my um, NFL. Uh, but uh, yeah, college football, let me know when it's the championship game. Let me know when it's the semifinal games because for real... Those are the two games that will count. So there we go. So let's go ahead and let me give my opinion about what happened with Florida State getting screwed. Did Florida State get screwed? Not being one of the teams that got into the Final Four. Um, the easiest decision, I think, it would have been made for the committee would have had the four teams being Michigan, Washington, Florida State, and Texas at the, at the four, top four teams. The Florida State gets screwed. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. Because you can say yes and you can say no. It would have been easier. If the four teams would have been, again, Michigan, Washington, Michigan, Washington, Florida State, and Texas, nobody would have been yelling and screaming. Outside of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and maybe some Alabama alumni, nobody would have been shouting and screaming this uproar, this fervor, fervor that's been happening this fucking clown Ron DeSantis talking about he wants to sue the NCAA or some bullshit like that none of this stuff would be going down if the committee had made that decision and I didn't even say would have made the right decision because I don't know exactly how they come up with the decision they can tell us how they come up with the decision but I've been saying this again and again and again why I think this selection committee is a farce that this selection committee is a joke Regardless of which four teams made the final four or which four teams were 
being able to participate in the college football uh, playoffs. The way they come up with these teams is a fucking joke. It's a clown show. And it happened way before, way before this travesty of justice, you want to call it, or this screw job that happened with Florida State. This was bound to happen. Four playoff teams for five major conferences. Of course, this was bound to happen. And in the 10 years or the nine years prior to this, it's laughable and they should consider themselves, the committee should consider themselves lucky that situations like this hasn't happened before. But here's the deal. The reason why that the committee and the reason why college football could get away with this without people yelling and screaming about, oh, this team got screwed and that team got screwed and the outrage for Florida State, a team that finished 13-0 and beat two SEC teams and won a neutral game against LSU and all these type of things. The reason why they're shouting and screaming and, and, and all these type of things and the reason why the committee got lucky is because never before has this happened because the Pac-12 has been garbage. For nine years, when you're speaking about the totality of the playoffs for college football, the Pac-12 has been garbage. So because USC, a traditional power of being run by uh, Lynn Swan and Pat Hayden and Clay Helton with the coach and USC with a mediocre program at best, because UCLA has been mediocre at best, because Washington went through some, year, some lean years after making up to the college football playoffs when they first started, after Chip Kelly left Oregon, that, that program went through a few things in terms of them not being elite, because the conference for the Pac-12 was considered mediocre, it was all right to have five, quote-unquote, power five conferences to fit for a playoff spot because for the most part, the Pac-12 didn't count. Or the Pac-12 at the very, the Pac-12 didn't have the teams to make the argument. In the nine years that the four-team playoff was in existence, only Washington, who did it twice, including this year, and Oregon were the only schools from the Pac-12 to play in the semifinals. And both of those schools got drilled. Uh, Washington got drilled, I believe it was by Alabama, Chris Peterson's team that went, they got drilled. Oregon made it to the uh, championship game where they lost to Cardell Jones. No, did they lose? Yeah, they lost to Cardell Jones, did they? Uh, they even lost to Cardell Jones or Florida State, one of those two, with Jameis Winston. But they made it to the championship the, in, the, in the first season of this, I believe. But ever since then, the Pac-12 has been garbage in terms, of, uh, in, in terms of being worthy. Or being worthy of the outrage of being left off when we're speaking about teams participating for the uh, national championship. So, in essence, this committee... And this silly, ridiculous format got lucky. Because you know throughout the tenure of the uh, 14 playoffs, you knew that Alabama was going to be elite. You knew that LSU from time to time was going to be elite. So you knew that you had an elite team from the SEC that were going to be there. You had Clemson with Dabo Swinney in the ACC having one of the best programs in college football. So you knew for the ACC that Clemson was going to be represented and represented well because you're speaking about Clemson being one of the best teams in the country. You had Ohio State long before Michigan. I know Michigan now has superseded Ohio State in terms of its dominance as the uh, Big Ten team. But before Michigan and Jim Harbaugh straightened things out and won three 
consecutive games over Ohio State and elevated their program to the stature that it is now. Before that, if you remember about three seasons ago or coming into the season two or three uh, seasons ago, people were speaking about should Jim Harbaugh be fired or when is Jim Harbaugh going to leave Michigan to go take an NFL job because he has been underwhelming because he's been a disappointment at Michigan. So before Jim Harbaugh turned this around to have Michigan as one of the elite teams in college football participating for championships, uh, Jim Harbaugh was on the hot seat. So for the first seven, eight years of the college football playoff, the best team, the elite team representing the Big Ten was Ohio State. Urban Myers, Ohio State. Ryan Days, Ohio State, until he started losing to Michigan. So this was a situation where you had three mainstays already available, already there, already in place, ready-made for the college football playoff committee, quote-unquote committee, to go in their, uh, go in their um, meetings and say, let's try to find the best four teams. Well, we knew that Alabama was going to be one of them. You knew that Clemson was going to be one of them. And you knew that Ohio State, as soon as they beat Michigan, was going to be one of them. Then there was a situation where, for the most part, it was going to be a team like uh, Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, Bob Stoops, because at this time, Texas was going through their, 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 their situation, or Texas was going through their mediocrity with Charlie Strong and others. They're trying to, trying to right their way to get back to their elite status, to get back to, to uh, Earl Campbell and, and, and Daryl Royal type status. So Texas was not really a participant. Texas was not really a player when it came to deciding who the final four teams were going to be to participate and the national championship. For the most part, it was going to be Oklahoma out of the Big 12, which would have assaged the uh, Big 12's feelings about putting a team in from there. So basically, you had the SEC, Alabama. You had the ACC, Clemson. You had the Big 10, Ohio State. And you had the Big 12, which was Oklahoma. And if Oklahoma faltered a little bit, then maybe you would go to a school. Maybe you have, well, well TCU was part of the uh, uh, Big 12 also. But for the most part, the four major conferences with the football teams and the football-centric um, type of um, uh, conferences outside of the ACC, which is, bas- which is basketball-centric, for the most part, you, 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 kept them, you kept them happy. You know, after, after, after the night of romance, after they took you out to dinner, yeah, you went home and you got your Johnson tickled and you got your pleasure and you got a note and you got the uh, breakfast in bed before they left. The Pac-12 conference wasn't even getting a look. The Pac-12 conference, you couldn't even buy. The Pac-12 conference couldn't even get the first base. The Pac-12 conference couldn't even buy them folks a drink to even get to the point where they were going to be screwed at the end of the night, where they were, where they were going to even be intimate at the end of the night. Pac-12 was, was such a disrespected conference, they couldn't even get that far during the majority of the 14 playoff. But this season, with Oregon... This season, with Washington, things got different. And for the first time, you had not just five teams, but really six teams that deserved to be in the championship. So how then are you going to explain the four teams that got in there? Because when you start explaining, when you don't have, and I've mentioned this over and over and over again, and every other sport, 
especially when you're speaking about professional sports. You know what the qualifications are to get into a playoff. You know what these teams need to do to qualify for the playoffs. You know what the criteria is in the NFL for these teams to make a playoffs. So you don't have to worry about a bunch of coaches or a bunch of general managers or a bunch of writers going into a room and trying to figure out who the best four teams are in the NFL. So because of that, you don't have to deal with that nonsense. Because of that, you don't have to deal with the bullshit reasons on how you come up with the best teams to participate in the playoffs. Why? Because in the NFL, it's very simple. You win your division, you're in the playoffs. Period. We don't have to worry about bowl games. We don't have to worry about ex-coaches. We don't have to worry about ADs. We don't have to worry about any of that nonsense. Because we know what it takes for a pro team, be it basketball or football, to get into the playoffs. You, you might not like the fact that the Atlanta Falcons or the New Orleans Saints or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with a losing record might not only get into the playoffs, but also have a home game. You might not like the fact that a team under 500 or around 500 is going to be making, a playoff, making the playoffs in football and there might be a team that might win 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 games in another division be left out. You might not like that format, but at least you know. At least you know that the Atlanta Falcons, as putrid, as inept, as incompetent, as inconsistent, as irrelevant that they are when compared to the best teams in the NFC or in the NFL, if they win the division, despite the fact that on most of the power rankings, they're in, they're in the 20s or in the high teens, you know they're going to make the playoffs. So there is no discussion. There is no speaking about, okay, the NFL playoffs are going to be starting next week, and can you believe the Atlanta Falcons? How did the Atlanta Falcons make the playoffs? This is terrible. This is horrible. This is, there's none of that nonsense. And when college football fans try to give me the bullshit or try to give me the nonsense about, well, this is what makes college football so intriguing, so exciting, the fact that, you know, we're speaking about this. If you really want to go through that stupidity, if you think this is good for college football, if you believe that Florida State got screwed, then well, then screw it. If you want to really get some fervor, if you really want to get attention on college football, if you really want them to have the spotlight of discussion, fuck it, why didn't you screw Michigan? Why didn't you screw Texas? I mean, hell, if that's going to be the, if that's going to be the deal, there's a lot more screwing that can be going around because, again, the process is not transparent. Parent. So Florida State got screwed? I don't know. Because you can make the argument that, that Alabama was the better team. True, you can do that. And the way that we try to figure out who the best team in college football is, yeah, I can see where the argument can be made about, look, Florida State um, playing with their third-string quarterback. Uh, their main quarterback is out for the year. Alabama's been playing great when they got lucky against Auburn, but for the most part, on a consistent basis, after losing to Texas or after being underwhelming against South Florida, that they've turned things around and they played Georgia on a neutral field, a team that was supposed to be in dynasty mode going for their third straight championship and this, that, and the other, and they beat them on a neutral field to complete a remarkable turnaround from the way that they were performing earlier in the year. I mean, all of these things, I mean, you, you can take all of these things but it's a subjective decision that's being made on who the top teams in college football are. They're not being decided on the football field. 
because I don't give a damn about this. Well, let me see here. Um, Texas had to be in over Alabama because they beat them by 10 on the road. That makes sense. But also, that was what, week two? Alabama is a much different team than they were in week two. Let me ask you a question. Neutral field, Texas in Alabama. Who do you think wins? Who do you think wins now? I don't know. I don't know. But to go ahead and say, well, it's obvious that you know we had to put Texas ahead of Alabama because they beat them in what week two of the regular season. What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. About three months later, nine, ten games later. What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. How many times have we spoke about? Um, how many times have we spoke about in the NFL a team might jump out to a, a team might jump out to a five and zero record and miss the playoffs, or we see teams that are ranked high as far as the power rankings are concerned because of their record and then they falter near the end of the season, or a team that started off the season very slowly, or a team that started off with a with a bad record or a bad performance and they turn things around to uh, make the playoffs or turn things around to uh, become one of the better teams in the league by the time the season's over. So, so what does it mean for real? When we're speaking about trying to find the four best teams in college football to say, well, obviously, Texas is a better football team than Alabama because they beat Alabama at Alabama by 10. But it was in September. <laughs> and Alabama is a much better team in December. See the game against Georgia than it was when they played Texas. So how do we figure this out? Now, yes, I know elementary, my dear Watson. Yes, ele- elementary, my dear Wendell. Yes, I, I I, know the easy way to do this. But again, when you don't have transparency, when you don't have any type of criteria, and you have a bunch of guys being objective, when you have a 13-member committee trying to decide this stuff, I mean, how far back do we want to go with deduction and bullshit to come up with the four best teams? Right? But how did Alabama... I mean, how how much do you gauge Alabama needing a miracle and a bad coaching decision to beat Auburn? How do you measure that to then the next week going to a neutral field and beating the number one team in the country? Which holds more weight? Beating the number one team in the country or needing a miracle to beat Auburn? I don't know. I don't know. And, and, and let's say that, let's say that Fourth down, let's say Auburn defended that fourth down Alabama loses. Now they're a two-loss team. And then they go into the SEC championship game and beat Georgia. All of a sudden now that that accomplishment, that achievement is minimized in terms of, well, wow, they beat Georgia. That's something else. Too bad they have two losses. I thought we were trying to pick the two best teams or the four best teams to play in the championship. So how much weight do you put into Alabama needing a miracle to beat Auburn and then beating Georgia on the neutral field who was than Georgia, the number one team in the country. What are we talking about here? Where are we going with this? What's happening? What is, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Again, it's just, it's, it's just ridiculous and it's just nonsensical. So you have the 13 member committee who, again, you don't, they don't have to explain anything. You got Chris Alt, the retired Nevada Wolfpack athletic director and football coach. I don't know what his qualifications are to to determine who the best four teams in college football are. You have Mitch Barnhart, the Kentucky athletic director. Boo Kerrigan, the NC State athletic director. 
Boy, I'm quite sure ACC media days or NC, ACC conferences for college football next season, that's going to be interesting. I have a Florida State and Mike Norvell. Yeah, I would have some choice words for Mr. Kerrigan if I were, um, if I were Coach Norvell. Uh, Chet Gladchuk is a U.S. Naval Academy athletic director. I don't know what his qualifications are in terms of deciding who the four best teams in college football are. Jim Grobe, retired football coach at Wake Forest, Baylor in Ohio. Mark Harlan, the Utah Athletic Director. Warren Manuel, the Michigan Athletic Director. David David Snyder, Slayer, Sayer, Sailor, the Miami of Ohio Athletic Director. Will Shields. Oh, you played for Kansas City. Former NFL player, Nebraska All-American. Yeah, he was on the offensive line. Gene Taylor, Kansas State Athletic Director. Joe Taylor, former Virginia Union Head Coach and Current Athletic Director. Rod West. The former Sugar Bowl president and current trustee at Notre Dame, Kelly Whiteside, the former college football reporter for Newsday, Sports Illustrated, and USA Today. So those are the members who decided this season on who the four best teams in college football were. And how each of those members voted and how their votes changed over the course of the discussions are not made public. So again, I, I don't know. Exactly. Jim Grobe is supposed to be the guy who knows everything about college football. And these guys are so cocksure. If these guys are so knowledgeable, if these guys are so, are so dick strong about, hey, we've got the four best teams in college football and we got it right and we can sleep well at night and this, that, and the other. These guys shouldn't be on the 13-member committee. Each one of these guys, Jim Grobe, Mark Harlan, Ward Manuel, Rod West, Kelly Whiteside, Boo Kerrigan, Mitch Barnhart, Chris Alt, Chet Gladchuck. What these guys should do is, these guys should be bookies. These guys should be bookies because they already know who the four best teams in college football are. So these guys shouldn't be committee members. These guys should be bookies and making some money this way. So, I don't know. Man. It, it, again, it's I'm gonna be. It's going to be much better when we go to a 12-team. The less, the less committee members or the less people deciding who makes the college football playoffs in a boardroom or in a conference room instead of the, um, instead of the football field the better. And look, they do the same thing in college basketball, right? About the 68 teams who make the playoffs, and then we always get these teams whining and complaining about, I can't believe that we were left out of the tournament. Um, let, me, let me tell you something, man. Let, let, me, let me tell you something. If you're whining about not being team 70, uh, not being team 68, then you really don't have an argument, and I, and I really don't care about listening to you. So, I mean, the teams that are going to be winning the national championship in basketball, they're, they're secure. Now, you might quibble, you might argue, you might shake your head, you might, you know, you might motherfuck the uh, committee because a number one seed might be in a tough conference or a tough bracket and this type of thing where, you know, how did Duke get into this tough bracket instead of Kentucky and all this type of, you, you can quibble and you can, you can argue about that, but for the most part, the best teams are going to uh, be in an advantageous position to uh, to do so. So basketball, college basketball is, is different, but college football is, is just a joke. So I, I'm, I'm glad that finally we're going to be um, getting rid of this nonsense, and, and, and hopefully, you know, we won't have to have one of these decisions again. But for 10 years, for the most part, the committee got very, very lucky in terms of not having something like this happen to them before. So, 
college football, for those who can't believe this, I can't believe that, this, that, and the other, the 14 playoff football days are now numbered. When we get back after my boogie break, you know, I'm not a guy who really celebrates Christmas holidays. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not atheist or anything, but I just don't get into that Christmas spirit. You know, I'm not, as I mentioned before, I'm not putting up any Christmas trees. I'm not putting up any lights, the Santa Claus and all the marketization of Christmas and all that kind of nonsense. I, I, I take no part in that nonsense. No part in it whatsoever. Any traditions or any kind of like this, that, and the other. I don't even go to church on, on, uh, on Christmas Day. So it's a situation where, you know, recognized on the uh, 25th that the Lord was born, this, that, and the other. But in terms of the holiday season and such, uh, my dad is no longer with us. I'm not living with my mom. I don't have a wife. I don't have any kids. So participating in the Christmas tree and the decorations and Santa Claus and all that kind of bullshit and all that kind of nonsense. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm in a position where I don't have to pretend that I have to, that I have to like that stuff and go through that nonsense. But... As far as the Christmas songs are concerned for my boogie breaks, for my bumper music, you know I got to get down with a little bit of Otis. You know I got to get down with a little bit of the of Donny Hathaway, the greatest Christmas song of them all. I'll leave that for the ending of my podcast. I'll be singing this Christmas when it's in July. Shoot, I'd be at work this Christmas. Hang on the mistletoe. I'm going to get to know you better. This Christmas. Wendell, it's March. What the fuck are you talking about this Christmas? Hey, man. This Christmas, this Hanukkah, this whatever. When you got Donnie with that. That's 365. That's 365, baby. That's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 365 days a year. You'll need to pull that out just for the Christmas season. But, uh, yeah, so just to represent the holidays, time for me to uh, get down with a little Otis Redding. We'll come back and we'll kind of hit the um, transfer portal for college football. Sounds good? Sounds good. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Have I uh, mentioned, when I speak about Otis Redding, have I ever mentioned that he's the greatest of them all? The greatest of them all. John Lennon Wendell, the greatest of them all, Otis Redding. James Brown, Otis Redding, Otis Redding, the greatest of them all. Even Sam Cooke, Otis Redding, Otis Redding, the greatest of them all. Taylor Swift, get the fuck out of here. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. As always, mentioned it. Um, I mentioned it last on my last podcast. Coming up on Sunday, I'll be in LA. I'll be watching the 
Los Angeles Chargers, the farewell tour for uh, Brandon Staley, their head coach. I'll be out in SoFi. I'll be out in L.A. watching them play the Denver Broncos. But um, just take a moment on December 10th, just even if it's for two seconds. And I'm speaking to the younger generation right here who, who, who might not know. Just, 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 just learn a little bit about Otis Redding. I mean, even if it's just to learn, learn how to spell Redding. December 10th, 1967, the greatest of them all went down in a plane crash. Him along with the bar case perished. Um, they found the body the next day at the bottom of the uh, lake, Lake Monona in Madison, Wisconsin. He was in Cleveland for the night before, doing a show before that. His last performance, recorded performance, you can find on YouTube. He did a show in Cleveland, Ohio um, on December 9th. He played cards with some folks, lost some money playing cards, wrote a check for how much he owed. Then the next morning, he called his wife and um, spoke to his children. His wife said that he was a little bit off. He just didn't seem, he didn't seem the same Otis. Seem reserved. And he said that uh, the last thing I want you to do is to be real good. And his wife was like, oh, listen, the best thing that's ever happened to you. What are you talking about? And Otis was like, no, 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 no. Seriously, I want you to be Zelma, his wife Zelma. Zelma, I want you to be real good. And she's like, what's up with this, man? And uh, later on that day, 328, he went down. The the, uh, plane went down. Never really found out the reason. Bad weather, the plane, Otis Redding bought himself a plane, had a lot of stuff in there, band members, equipment, and all that kind of stuff. James Brown told them, hey, man, I got a Learjet to be taking all the stuff that I need. That's plane that you're flying. It's used. It's old. And what you're trying to do, that plane ain't going to last. And, you know, Otis said, oh, boss, man, I'll be fine. Don't worry about it. But there was really no um, definitive explanation on why the plane went down. But uh, but the plane went down. We lost an American icon. We lost an American hero. We lost uh, an American treasure. And we lost the best there ever was. And the greatest of them all, Otis Redding. And the same thing with Sam Cooke. Now, Sam Cooke, the father of soul music, I mean, he lost his life in a little bit more, um, in a more seedier way. Um, he was robbed while he was cheating on his wife with a substitute, Lisa, with a, with a uh, prostitute, Lisa Boyer uh, robbed him. In fact, um, when I go to L.A., and on Figueroa, I'm going to go to the site where Sam Cooke was murdered. The hotel, Hotel Hacienda, is no longer there. But uh, the seedy part of L.A., uh, where he took that uh, prostitute, Elisa Boyer, to um, have sex with, they went into the they went into the room. She stole his clothing. Sam Cooke came, went to the bathroom. She stole his clothing. She ran to a phone booth, called the police, talking about, oh my goodness, I'm being held against my will, I'm being raped, this and the other. Why in the hell would you rape somebody and then leave them in a room? If you're going to try to entrap somebody, would you try to entrap somebody by saying, yeah, we're going to go into this room, and oh yeah, by the way, I know I'm doing this against your will, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave that door wide open, and I'm going to go to the bathroom, lock the door, do what I need to do, take off my clothes, leave my clothes there with you, go to the bathroom, well, you're going to have the opportunity to escape. Does that sound like a rapist to you? Does that, does that sound like someone who's going to rape you do in that situation? So that was the story that Elisa Boyer told the cops. The cops in L.A. 
being quite racist, even more racist than they are right now, really didn't give a damn about some about some Negro singer who they never heard of being shot in a seedy African-American part of town by Bertha Franklin, the manager of the uh, hotel. So they just kind of said, fuck it, who cares? No one really cares. He's black, who cares? So they just swept it under the rug. He shouldn't have been going around with that Asian woman anyway, so he almost got what he deserved. So, you know, there was always been some mysteriousness. There's always been some questions that really haven't been answered. But uh, Lady You Shot Me is a great documentary. And there's a Netflix uh, documentary on Sam Cooke. I highly recommend that you uh, watch speaking about one of the fathers of of soul music and, and music that we are today. And one of the reasons why we as human beings are where we are in the society today, our unity, our togetherness, our ability, are some of the things that we had to overcome from my community standpoint was helped out tremendously by Otis Redding and Sam Cooke. And what helps out my community helps out all communities all around the world. So that's the reason why it's very important. I believe that on Sunday, you just take a quick moment to remember the accomplishments of the greatest Otis Redding and the legend Sam Cooke. All right, I've gone far enough with that. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. Really quick, I just want to hit the transfer portal with college football. Two things that really crack me up when people are whining and bemoaning and crying and complaining about the 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 ruinization of college football. It's the NIL and it's the transfer portal. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do about college football? It's a mess. It's all fouled up. What are we going to do about this? We have to change the NIL rules. We can't have these players getting money. We have to change um, transfers. 1,500 players have gone into the transfer portals. Have gone into the transfer portal. There are not enough scholarships for those guys. What's going to happen? What's going to become of these players? What's going to become of college football? Now, all of a sudden, college football has become mediocre. My goodness gracious, what are we going to do about this? Take it from a guy who, look, I just like watching college football. <laughs> the minutia, the ins and outs, I don't care. What's going to happen to the 1,500 players or what's going to happen to the players who have transferred, who are in the transfer portal and they're expecting to go somewhere else and they might not get an offer? What's going to happen to them? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. All I want to do is see great football on Saturday. That's all I want. I don't care about who transfers or... Look, if there was a situation where you had players who were winning the Heisman Trophy transferring, and you had All-Americans on one team transferring, then that might be a problem. But look, there's some notable names, without question, who are transferring, who are in the transfer portal. Ohio State's Kyle McCord, Washington State's Cam Ward, Duke's Riley Leonard, Oregon State's DJ Ugalangale. I can never pronounce that name. Dil uh, Dylan Gabriel of Oklahoma. He's transferring. Dante Moore of UCLA. But let, let, let's take a look at these names, right? Do any of these names strike you as, oh my goodness gracious, I can't believe he's transferring. Oh no. If you're a fan of Ohio State, are you down and out about Kyle McCord transferring? Now Washington State, the situation, Cam Ward, 
who transferred in from Incarnate Ward, a lower division uh, football program. He did great things his one year with Washington State, but Washington State is no longer going to be in the Pac-12. So why would Cam Ward, uh, or the Pac-12 is going to be dissolved? So if you're Cam Ward, why in the world would you continue to stay at, at Washington State? Um, DJ, the quarterback for Oregon State, his coach left him. So why would he stay at Oregon State? Dylan Gabriel, I'm quite sure, was was told by the coaches at Oklahoma and Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator, is now going to be the coach at Mississippi State. I'm quite sure, you know, there's folks in um, Oklahoma led by my main man, Eric G, who are sitting there talking about, yeah, I want to see Jackson Arnold play. Five-star recruit, I want to see him play. Dylan Gabriel, we, we know what he's about. And he was fine and he was good and he was wonderful, but... Dylan Gabriel as your quarterback, is he the guy that's going to be leading you to the championship next year? While you have a guy in Jackson Arnold, a five-star recruit who might have the talent, might have the arm talent to someday, maybe as a junior or a senior, lead you to the national championship? Don't you want to start that process right now, speaking about next season? UCLA's Dante Moore. Does anybody know who Dante Moore is? I know Dante Moore because I follow a little bit about the uh, high school recruiting for football and basketball. So I know Dante Moore was one of the top-rated high school players uh, coming out of uh, Detroit, Michigan, or one of the top high school players in this class. Went out to uh, UCLA after, uh, I think he decommitted from Oregon or something like that. But he's going to be in play. Um, Walter Nolan, who was the number one player in the class a couple of years ago, I believe. He's transferring, he's entering the transfer portal because his coach, Jimbo Fisher, at Texas A&M, he was fired. So, I, you know, I, I don't really see the big deal. I don't have any attraction, I don't have any connection to any of these teams. So, for me, if I was out there in Columbus and I grew up a big Ohio State fan and Woody Hayes and Archie Griffin and John Cooper can never beat Michigan and the semi-pro football team that John Cooper put on the field year after year in the mid-90s and, and they returned to greatness under um, under Urban Meyer and uh, the coach before, Mr. Sweatervest and oh my goodness gracious, this, any, if I was steeped in Ohio State love of football, if I loved Ohio State football like I love Georgetown basketball, would I be whining and crying if Kyle McCord, that Kyle McCord is entering the transfer portal? Well, if we get Cam Ward, if we can get Cam Ward, then yeah, Kyle, take t- 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 hit the bricks. Take a hike. Hit the road, Kyle, and don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Yeah, you know, he did the old Buckeye Nation. I love you guys to death, and y'all always be a Buckeye. And if I'm a fan, if I'm a passionate fan of Ohio State, I'm like, hey, man, you couldn't beat Michigan. Hit the bricks. We got a quarterback who can. Dylan Gabriel of Oklahoma. Yeah, thanks. Wonderful. Fantastic. You and Levy, y'all have a good time down there at at, um, at uh, Mississippi State. Time to turn the page and let's see what Jackson Arnold can do. Hey, man, we're, we're, we're Oklahoma. We're not reliant on just one quarterback because guess what? Every other cycle, when we need a four or five-star quarterback, we're going to get one. Why? Because we're Oklahoma. That's the reason why Ohio State can go out and get three or four high-quality quarterbacks. That's why Ohio State can recruit two quarterbacks per recruiting cycle. So you have three top 30 high school quarterbacks on the roster for Ohio State. And if one of them transfers, big deal. 
Kyle McCord leaves, we'll bring in Cam Ward, and we're also getting Aaron Nolan, a four- or five-star recruit that's coming in this season. Georgia's uh, Brock Vanderbeer, he's transferring over to Kentucky. That's okay. Georgia's bringing in Dylan Riolo or something like that, one of the, the, the a five-star top-rated top quarterback from this class who's supposed to be exceptional and wonderful and every school in America wanted him. Do you know how many great quarterbacks are at Alabama? So wonderful transfers, who cares? Let them go. Who cares? And I don't want to hear any nonsense about, you know, the fouling up of who cares? Let those guys go. Let those guys get paid. Dylan Gabriel, for all intent and purposes, ain't going to be playing in the NFL. If he can go somewhere where he can get close to a million dollars, go. If Cam Ward can go play in college and make up to a million dollars for his services, go. Yes. Yes. If the if the university needs to pay him that amount, yes. All the minutiae, all the ins and outs that go into that, I don't care. I don't care. And it's the same thing with basketball. I don't give a damn how you got Jaden Epps on, on Georgetown's basketball team. I don't care. What I care about is that he's on the team and he's playing well and that he's happy. That's all I care about. I don't care about who's paying him. I don't care about how much he's getting paid. I don't care what it took to get him. I don't care if Cooley had to cheat. I don't care. My main thing is to get these guys on the court, let them play to Georgetown, can start winning championships and and, and, and make me become even, even happier than I am right now. I don't care about how that happens. And I'm quite sure with you and you and you and everybody who's a college football fan or a college basketball fan, you feel the same way. And we can upgrade at quarterback, and we can upgrade at tight end, and we can upgrade at defensive end, and we can upgrade at linebacker, safety, whatever. Do it! <laughs> do it! How you do it, I don't care. Just do it. <laughs> just do it, babe. That's still my motto. Just, just do it. So all the hand ringing and oh my goodness, this is horrible for college football. I don't give, man, look, I don't, I don't, I, I'm a meat eater, right? I love steaks. I love hamburger. I love chicken. I love meat. If we ever stop eating meat, I'm going to be in a world of hurt. Because I love eat. I don't understand vegans. I bow down to vegans. I'm jealous of vegans. Vegans, y'all are awesome. Because I don't know how you do it. Because I couldn't live without meat. I just couldn't do it. A, 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 a veggie burger is not the same. It can never be the same. You can't substitute meat with anything else and say, Mmm, this is delicious. No! Meat is meat. You'll never replicate a nice, thick, juicy steak with vegetables or beans or rice or nuts. It ain't going to happen. Steak is steak. A nice, juicy hamburger, Kobe burger, nothing beats it. I don't, I don't care what you did to that cow. I don't care what you did to that chicken. I don't care the process of producing steaks and burgers. I don't care. I don't care what torture you had to go through. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to see it. I'm quite sure it's pretty gruesome. I'm quite sure it's pretty awful. 
I'm quite sure the way that they they get their cattle in the process of being put on my dinner table is quite gruesome, quite disgusting, all of those things. I wouldn't want to see that. I don't want to know about it. Just give me the steak. Just give me the burger. Just give me the chicken. <laughs> and that's the same thing. That's the same thing with college sports. I don't for football, Alabama, USC, Oklahoma, Clemson, Florida, Florida State, Texas, and Ohio State, Michigan. I don't care. I don't care how I got myself. If 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 I have a team that's going to have the opportunity to win a championship, I don't care how you got that player. If I got a quarterback that can win the Heisman Trophy and is going to elevate my team to winning a championship, I don't care how he got there. I don't care the process. I don't care who's paying for him. I don't care about any of that stuff. Just make sure he's on the football field. You think Oregon gives a damn about how they got Bo Nix? You think Washington gives a damn about how they got Michael Penix? You think LSU gives a damn about how they got Jaden Daniels? I don't care. Who cares? As long as he's playing, who cares? <laughs> so those who are very close to the game of college football, reporting on it, have been in it, I don't, you know, take a step back and just think as a fan. Just think as a fan. Well, you don't care about the kids. You're right. I don't care about those kids. Those kids aren't my kids. I got enough. I got enough problems in my own life. I got enough problems in my own world. I'm, I don't need to be worrying about some kid who's going to go somewhere at the age of 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, have the opportunity to make six figures. I'm not worried about that shit. You think I worry about that? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. The NIL and this is terrible. This is horrible. All I know is that Cam Ward is going to be making close to a million dollars. All I know that Kyle McCord is going to be leaving Ohio State as a guy who's going to be making six figures. That's all that I know. So for some reason, somehow, I'm supposed to be worried about that. I'm supposed to be concerned about that. Somehow, some way, that's going to dampen my love of college football because I know that these players are being bought, sold, whatever. Good! <laughs> you know what? If someone wants to give me 500000 600000 700000 after taxes, if someone wants to give me $200,000, buy and sell me. I am able to be bought. I am able to be sold. Just make sure my check does not bounce. Make sure, make sure my taxes get done and make sure that six figures are in the bank. Wendell Wallace Jr. Cash money, y'all. So please. When we come back. <laughs> oh my goodness, college football. 1,500 people in the transfer portal. Well, what happens if they leave the school and they can't get a scholarship? Well, they'll live. Don't worry about it. They'll be, they'll be all right. Go to JUCO. Go to Division Two. Go to go to HBCU. Someone will take them. When we come back, man, I didn't even have time to talk about Deion Sanders being the Sportsman of the Year. Mm, 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 mm. Deion in some trouble moving forward, and I think it's like I think it's horrible what he's doing to his sons, especially Shador, quarterback, and um, I, I don't know what type of offensive lineman he's going to be getting, but the beating that he took, I know he's. Getting good coin. I mean, hell, they play that, they play that uh, commercial with him and his brother enough to where he's making good coin. Good for him. So if he gets beat to a bloody pulp next season 
at least he's going to be leaving college uh, super duper rich. So, hey, good for him. But, man, Dion, don't you want to see your son get to the NFL? And, and, and exactly why do you want to keep him in college? If this is going to be a situation where once Travis Hunter and your sons leave, I mean, what's going to be next then for Dion? Interesting. I'll get into that a little bit later on in my podcast. But, uh, yeah, let me go ahead. And I want to go um, take a little boogie break. NFL is going to be next. Hey, for fans of my Washington Commanders, fans of the New York Jets and the Giants and the Patriots and the Tennessee Titans and the Las Vegas Raiders and the uh, Los Angeles Chargers, hey, man, I got some good news for you. Even though we stink, the glass is still is still half full in one regard. I'll explain to you what it is and just lambast and go off on my Washington Commanders because they suck. Wendell Wallace, world, Wendell's World in Sports. Time for me and Santa Claus and JB to go straight to the ghetto. Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Hitch up your reindeer uh, Go straight to the ghetto Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Fill every stocking you find The kids are gonna love you so uh, Leave a toy for Johnny Leave a dog for Mary Leave something pretty for Johnny And don't forget about Gary Santa Claus Last segment of the podcast Last segment of the program Wendell's World of Sports I'm your host, Wendell Wallace So glad that you could be with us Santa Claus, go straight to the ghetto. I just finished reading a book. It was a hit piece on Aretha Franklin. <laughs> Man, you know, I read a book about Motown and uh, I read a book about um, Aretha. Read a book about Otis Redding. Read a book about Sam Cooke. Read a book about Marvin Gaye. And I was mentioning before about how we... My generation, generation before and such, we we kind of need to leave some of these these soul singers. We, we need to leave their songs alone and stop trying to replicate or trying to sing them songs. You know, because one of the things about their greatness is, or one of the things that produced their greatness was their flaws and their faults and their insecurities and their heartaches and their upbringing. You know why they'll never, I, I hope there'll never be another artist like Marvin Gaye because the hell that Marvin Gaye went through in his life to produce Marvin Gaye, the music and the things that he was speaking about and the passion and everything that he spoke, that he sung about and sung from, that soul, that spirit and everything. I would hate to have another human being go through the life that Marvin Gaye had to be able to produce that. But that's what you have to do, man. The, 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 I mean, from childhood and his father being a complete lunatic and a cross-dresser and a hypocrite and everything to everything that he went through, the, the, the racism, the discrimination, the drug use, the insecurities, the 
the womanizing, the, everything, how screwed up Marvin Gaye was, is what made him so great. So it's like, man, I, you know, what made Aretha so awesome, her hubris, her insecurities, that was a weird woman. She's the queen of soul. She's the greatest singer, possibly, who ever lived. She's an icon. She's all of those things. But man, I, 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 I wouldn't want to be around her for 15 seconds. You're speaking about difficult. You're speaking about just like, you know, uh, when you're in my presence, bow. And I ain't joking, Mr. Wallace. Yeah, you call me Miss Franklin. There ain't no Aretha here. My name is Miss Franklin, and I'll call you Mr. Wallace. And that's how we'll do things. And I don't give a damn if you're Luther Vandross. I don't give a damn if you're Anita Baker. I don't give a damn who you are. You will address me as Miss Franklin. And you will show me that respect. Or else I'm out of here. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> I mean, man, that book, was, that book was something else. So, yeah, yeah. It's I don't even know how I got off of that tangent. Oh, yeah, James Brown. Yeah, James Brown was, uh, I mean... They'll, hopefully there'll never be another James Brown because hopefully another human will never have to go through what James Brown had to go through to become James Brown. The, the, having that determination and having all his faults and all his difficulties and all his misdeeds and all his foibles. Hopefully, hopefully the world will never produce another James Brown because what that man went through... Hmm. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad... That you can be with us. Watch the documentary. The night that James Brown. Um, saved Boston. I think it was. Where basically after Martin Luther King was, was uh, killed. Was murdered by this country. And um, it was complete chaos. He was murdered 366 days before I was born. So uh, kids. How old did that make me? Huh? 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 So um he was murdered and you know, the streets, I mean, we lost our savior. We lost the guy that was going to lead us from temptation to uh, heaven. He was, he was the guy, right? So when a man who stood for nonviolence was violently murdered by this country, oh, 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 oh Florida's going to be mad at me for doing this. I'm talking about American history, the truth. So when riots broke out in Watts and all across the country, um, James Brown was the one who kind of quelled all that. Of course, that deed for him going to the Boston Garden and allowing his show to be televised so people could stay indoors in Boston and watch that show instead of going out and looting and, and creating violence that they were doing the days after the assassination. Basically, then when mayors and governors and politicians saw that, they were like, hey, James, can you come to this city? Hey, James, can you come to that city? Because we've been going through some tough times after uh, MLK was assassinated. So can you do the same thing for our city that you did for Boston? Of course, when the folks in power, when the government, Nixon and such, saw how much power James Brown had to be able to quell a riot, of course, the fear is, well, anybody who can stop a riot can then start a riot. So just like Malcolm just like other black folks from my community who showed that type of power, who showed that type of, uh, uh, who were put in that situation. This government, this country did everything it did to uh, try to minimize and denigrate and disregard and um, put him down. 
This government did that with King. This government did that with Malcolm. This government did that with the Black Panthers. This government did that with James Brown. This government did that with a lot of things. Oh, I'm sorry, Florida. I'm sorry. Am I supposed to not be saying that type of stuff? I'm sorry. I forget. Slavery. There was some good stuff that came out of slavery for us. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Woo! I'm going to roll today. NFL. NFL. Okay, the playoff race after week 13. The Miami Dolphins, 9-3, three-game winning streak. I'm going to go through the AFC East. I'm going to go through the AFC Conference or the um, American Football Conference. And what I'll do, I'll just kind of give my thoughts and opinions about the division leaders, get get the same thing with the NFC, and then talk about some other stuff. But the in the AFC, the number one seed, the Miami Dolphins, their 9-3, three-game winning streak, three-game lead over Buffalo in the AFC East. They're going to play Tennessee this weekend. They beat up and embarrassed the uh, Washington Commanders 45-15. I'll get to that in a second. My question is this. Are the Dolphins the Dallas Cowboys of the AFC? Huh? Let me explain. Remember when I was speaking about the Cowboys? Now, they beat Seattle. That was probably, I guess, their best win of the season for Dallas because they beat a lot of the New York Giants and the Washington Commanders and the New York Jets of the world of the NFL. And then when you take a look at their losses, they lost to the Philadelphia Eagles. They lost to the uh, San Francisco 49ers. They were blown out by the San Francisco 49ers. So what are we speaking about here with the Dallas Cowboys? Are they more geared toward frauds or legit when you're speaking about championships, even though their record is strong, look at the teams that they've beaten this season and look at the teams that they lost to. The same thing can be applied in the AFC to the Miami Dolphins. They're undefeated against bad and mediocre teams. Their nine wins have come against the Los Angeles Chargers, the New England Patriots. They beat them twice. Denver, the New York Giants, the Jets, Carolina, the Raiders, and the Commanders. Their three losses are to Kansas City, Philadelphia, and Buffalo. Now, the last time I checked, when the playoffs start, Miami won't be playing the Carolina Panthers and the New York Giants and Jets and Commanders of the world. They'll be playing the Kansas Cities, Philadelphias, and Buffalo Bills of the world. So what are we talking about here? Which Miami team or what, what, what should we kind of deduce as far as the Miami Dolphins? Pretenders or contenders? Now, through weeks... 16 and 18 in the NFL, we're going to get a better assessment of that question because they're going to be playing, speaking of the Dolphins, they're going to be playing Dallas, Baltimore, and Buffalo. So we'll get a better idea of what it's all about in terms of the uh, Miami Dolphins being true contenders in the uh, AFC. So um, the Dolphins are the number one seed. Baltimore also 9-3. They have a two-game lead over Pittsburgh and Cleveland, three-game lead over Cincinnati in the AFC North. They had a bye this past week. The number three team, the Kansas City football team, 8-4 and four after losing on Sunday night to uh, Green Bay. The second game in a row, I might add, that the Kansas City defense had been mediocre compared to their standards this season. Second time that they allowed a team to get ahead of them. They came back against the Las Vegas Raiders, but they didn't come back against the uh, Green Bay Packers. My question is, if the... Kansas City defense is not going if the, if the Kansas City defense is going to be good okay they're going to be C plus B good with the offense that they have right now even with Patrick Mahomes at the quarterback is that going to be enough for Kansas City to try to repeat as champions or is that going to be enough for Kansas City to repeat as champions especially if they don't get home field advantage 
in the playoffs because if you you remember the uh, Kansas City football team with Patrick Mahomes had never played a road playoff game. So this is going to be new territory for Kansas City if they cannot secure the number one spot. And you're speaking about Mahomes being the best quarterback, the best player in the NFL, arguably. But can he overcome a C-plus B defense and have a rookie wide receiver as their best outside option along with Travis Kelsey? Because Rashid Rice... The 2023 second-round draft pick, he's been the team's best wide receiver so far this season. When you speak about leading the Kansas City football team in catches and yards and touchdowns by significant numbers outside of Travis Kelsey, what does that mean for Kansas City? What does that mean for that team repeating as a champion? So that will, we'll take a look at that. But currently, they're the number three team in the AFC. The number four team from the AFC South. The Jacksonville Jaguars, one game ahead of Indianapolis in Houston. Bad loss Monday night at home to Cincinnati. Oosh. You're going to lose to Jake Browning? Really? Mm. Mm. At home to Duval County? Duval County? Duval County? All right, fellas. All right. All right. We got it. That's cool. Duval County. But bad loss at home where I don't think they've won a game at home. Or they're, they've only, they're, I know they have a losing record at home this season. So maybe it's a good thing that they lost to uh, fall back a little bit, but the defense was uh, defense was bad. I know that people are going to be concentrating on the injury to uh, Lawrence, but uh, it really doesn't matter in that regard that the defense is going to continue to play like they did against Cincinnati, where it gave up over 500 yards of total offense and 300 yards, or what, um, having Jake Browning complete 80% of his passes, 86% of his passes. I don't give a damn if all of them are screen passes. 86%. This is Jake Browning, not Joe Burrow. So, mm. Mention the um, injury to Trevor Lawrence. High ankle sprain. I know that they're playing tonight, or I know that, uh, uh, who's playing tonight? New England is somebody, I forget. When, when, when I heard New England was playing, it was like next. So, but he suffered a high ankle sprain. Unclear at the stage whether Lawrence is going to be available for Sunday's game against the Cleveland Browns. I would leave him out against the Cleveland Browns. Yes, I know they're one game ahead of both Indianapolis and Houston, but I wouldn't put a hobbled Trevor Lawrence against that uh, Cleveland defense, a Cleveland defense that knows that it's going to have to put pressure, that knows the responsibility is going to be on them. I'm not putting a wounded Trevor Lawrence in the uh, crosshairs of Miles Garrett. No, thank you. So, yeah, so he was walking around in a walking boot, met with the reporters on Wednesday, was was like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go or not. So we'll take a, we'll monitor that situation. The wild card teams, so we mentioned the top four teams in the AFC. The Miami Dolphins, the Baltimore Ravens, Kansas City football teams, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Those are the division leaders. Wild card teams are Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Indianapolis. They all have seven and five records. Outside looking in, Houston, Denver, Cincinnati, Buffalo. Houston is seven and five. Good victory over Denver this past weekend. But Denver, Cincinnati, and Buffalo are at six and six. I don't even know as far as outside looking in. I wanted to put Cincinnati in there, but you never know. The best of the rest are the Chargers, the Raiders, the Jets. Tennessee and New England. I'll get to them. I'll get to them a little bit later. And the NFC, taking a look at the top teams. The top teams, or the top team, based on paper, still with the best record in the NFL, Philadelphia Eagles. One game lead over the Dallas Cowboys. Of course, 
you know what the question for them is going to be. What are the residual effects of the beatdown that they um, that they had at home against the San Francisco 49ers? They were dominated, 42-19. Probably, I guess you could say, the worst loss. I know it's very, I know it's in its infancy, but in terms of the Jalen Hurts era, when you think about what he's done as a quarterback leading Philadelphia to the Super Bowl, this was by far the worst um, beatdown or the worst loss for the Philadelphia Eagles with Hurts at the quarterback. Philadelphia dominated on defense was very interesting. The 49ers punted the first two times. They had the football. Then they scored six straight touchdowns. Dubu Samuels, 100 of his, 115 of his 116 yards receiving came after the catch, which is the reason why I'm not going to be running up and down the street and... You know, dancing dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas or dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie speaking about Brock Purdy is the MVP of the league. Slow down, honey bun. But um, the 49ers were 9-12 on third and fourth down conversions and averaged five yards per, per ten, five yards per attempt, 28 attempts, rushing attempts. This was, I thought, the most physical, dominant, offensive, and defensive line in the league. When you're speaking about the Eagles, and they got smashed, they got destroyed, they got beat up, they got punked by the San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco came in there looking for blood. San Francisco came in there looking for a piece of Philadelphia's ass. San Francisco came in there on a mission, baby. And I don't think Philadelphia was up to the task. Philadelphia looked like, remember when Khabib Nurmagomedov faced Conor McGregor? After McGregor was talking shit about his religion and Khabib was beating the shit out of him and McGregor was like, yo, mate, what's going on, man? Hey, I was just talking. I was just trying to hype the fight. I was just trying to, you know, get people interested. And Khabib was like, no, fuck that, man. You speaking about my uh, religion. You speaking about my parents. I'm going to whoop your ass and jump out of the octagon and beat up everybody who's Irish. Um, That was a situation where I thought it was similar to the 49ers and the Eagles with Khabib being the uh, 49ers and... The forty and um, the Eagles being McGregor seemed like the Eagles were like, "Wow, hey San Francisco, why y'all taking this so Samuel? Why y'all taking this so personal? Man, we're just out here playing the football game. Ain't no need for any of that kind of nonsense." But yeah, Philadelphia was like uh, shocked, and San Francisco was like, "Yeah, if we have to, uh, if we have to uh, disown our mothers to uh, produce this type of ass whooping, then that's what we're going to do." Which leads me to say, can Philadelphia? match that same intensity does philadelphia take this ass whooping and, and use it as an advantage or a disadvantage because we've heard hurts all season long say what we haven't played up to our potential yet we still haven't played that game just yet well when do we start saying okay well maybe last year was last year and this year is this year and you're not good this year as you were last year so maybe these performances that you're putting up this season are the norm and maybe we shouldn't be expecting the type of performances that you put up last season and if that's going to be the case then what are your chances are of repeating as conference champions so you know interesting interesting philadelphia leading rusher was jalen hurts 20 carries seven yards they passed the ball 45 times, they ran at 18. And Hurts had 7. So basically, running backs, 11. So, hmm. <laughs> we'll see what happens this upcoming week against Dallas. But that's going to be the game of the week, I guess, right? That's going to be Sunday night, Dallas and um, Dallas in Philadelphia. So we'll see. 
But the Eagles still remain the number one seed in the NFC. The number two seed, I guess you could say, is the best team in the NFL as of right now, right? The San Francisco 49ers, three-game lead over the LA Rams in Seattle, 9-3. Let's put it this way. When we speak about, well, how good are the 49ers, blah, 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 they're, they're undefeated with their entire squad, right? If you remember, they had that three-game losing streak where they lost to Cincinnati, uh, Minnesota, and... Uh, I forgot who else they lost to, but they lost three games in a row. It was Cleveland. It was Cleveland. Purdy had a bad game against two or three of those teams, but they were missing Samuel. They were missing Trent Williams. So let's put it this way. When the 49ers are intact, they're undefeated. They've won four games in a row since their team got whole again. Trent Williams returned. Debo Samuels returned. Christian McCaffrey seems to be hitting stride. So in the four games since the, since the band has been back together, they went on the road, beat up the Jacksonville Jaguars 34-3. Then they beat Tampa Bay at home 27-14. Went on the road to beat Seattle 31-13. And then went on the road and did this to Philadelphia 42-19. Oh, by the way, did I mention the um, 49ers were gift-wrapped a pass rusher named Chase Young, who is being rejuvenated now that he's out of a dysfunctional, inept, incompetent program like the Washington Commanders? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's pretty easy to say that the San Francisco 49ers are the best team in the NFL as of right now. Not just the NFC, but I would say the NFL. The number three team in the NFC, in the NFC, the Detroit Lions, three-game lead over Minnesota in Green Bay. You know, I, I look, the Lions have their best record since 1962 as far as through 12 games. Hip, hip, hooray. Whoop-de-damn-do. My question now is, should the Lions, could the Lions, could they be the number one seed when everything is all said and done in the NFC? Look, I know I talked about the 49ers being the best team in the NFL. I know I talked about the 49ers being undefeated when they had their whole squad together. But I'm just thinking. You take a look at the at, at Detroit's remaining schedule. At Chicago this upcoming week weekend, then Denver, then at Minnesota, at Dallas, and then Minnesota again. We don't know what the situation is going to be for Minnesota. We don't even know who's going to be the starting quarterback. We don't know if Josh Dobbs is going to be the starting quarterback for the Vikings. And even if he is, his last couple of games were not that impressive. And then you speak about Denver. Then you speak about Chicago. Dallas is going to be the deal in terms of we're going to get a better read on how good the Lions are, contenders, pretenders. Should we even put those type of expectations up there, those type of levels of fancy when you're speaking about the number one seed in the NFC possibility. Let's see what they do against the Dallas Cowboys before we start going over that because, well, again, Dan Campbell, the fighting Dan Campbells, the history of the Detroit Lions, the fact that they're 9-3, and three, I understand. Man, dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas, Bernadette by the four tops, the best thing that's come out of Detroit since Motown in terms of what the Lions are doing this season, right? This has been the best thing since I've heard it on the grapevine by Gladys Knight and the Pips. The Detroit Lions play this season has been the best thing to come out of Detroit since I Can't Help Myself with the number one hit single for the Four Tops back in 1967. But I'm still looking for that signature win by the Lions. I'm still looking for, look, Philadelphia had that win against Kansas City. Um, San Francisco had that win against Philadelphia. I'm still looking for that signature win by Detroit. Could it have been the opening season game at Kansas City winning 21-20? Does that constitute 
like, okay, the Lions are here, the Lions are for real. That was so long ago, man. That was almost, that was the first game of the season. No, it was a couple of months ago. Look at the other wins. At Green Bay, Atlanta, Carolina, Tampa Bay, the Raiders, the Chargers, Chicago, New Orleans. And really, with the exception of Green Bay, where they won on the road 34-20 to in Week 4, where Jordan Love and the rest of those guys were still learning what it took to be starting players in the NFL, none of these games, they, they didn't blow out. Detroit didn't blow, blow out Atlanta. They didn't blow out Chicago. They didn't blow out New Orleans. You know, they didn't blow out Kansas City. I'm, I'm looking for that signature that signature victory. I, I guess, you know, you, you take a look at the loss that they had against Baltimore. That spoke volumes. That, that was much louder. That was much more eye-popping than any of the wins. So are the Lions just in a, a, just a circumstance of just beating mediocre teams? Beating bad teams or mediocre teams at the right time? Are they closer to that than they are to uh, winning, being considered serious contenders? Again, especially with teams like the Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers in their path? I don't know. I don't know. Their, their, their most eye-opening game was against Baltimore where they got smashed 34-6 to or some nonsense like that on the road, which introduced Lamar Jackson to the, high, to the um, MVP discussion. So I don't know. So they're the third seed in the NFC, the Detroit Lions. And then you got the Atlanta Falcons at 6-6, six and six, one game ahead of the Tampa Bay and New Orleans. They beat the Jets 13-8. to eight. Can we really speak about this for real? I mean, I know, like I've mentioned before, because of the rules, the Falcons, if the season ended today, would be in the playoffs. But really, the Falcons against the Jets. Jets, great defense, bad offense. The Falcons gained 194 total yards against the Jets, 11 of their 14 possessions, failing to go more than 14 yards. They had three, they had five three and outs and two possessions, lost yardage. How, 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 what, what, how, what should we say about the Atlanta Falcons for real? What do you want me to say about the Atlanta Falcons for real? Nothing good. Moving on. Um, Dallas, the top wild card team, again, nine and three in one game behind Philadelphia. It's Sunday night's game against the Eagles. Let me throw this out to you. The Sunday night game against the Eagles, is that the most important game for Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy so far? as far as being employed by Jerry Jones and the uh, Dallas Cowboys. You know, we could talk about the playoffs and all this kind of stuff. Dak Prescott, MVP candidate, looking to get that $57 million contract, um, get that payday next season. All that's great. I just mentioned before, though, the, the teams that they beat, not impressive. They haven't lost since losing on the road to Philadelphia on, no, on November 5th. Let's just say, for instance... They get blown out by Philadelphia. How much is beating up on the Jets and the Giants and the Panthers and the Commanders and the also-rans of the league, how much weight is that going to carry if Dallas does not perform? I'm not talking about win, even though they should at home against a team in Philadelphia that's kind of struggling a bit after last week. But if they lose at home to Philadelphia... What does it mean? Look, there's still football left. So I'm, saying, I'm talking about in the immediate future. Because we do this with Dallas, right? Unlike any other team, right? Every win, every loss is magnified that much greater because they are the Dallas Cowboys. So 
if they lose against Philadelphia, it's like big deal. The fact that after losing that game to uh, Philadelphia on November 5th, since then they've gone 4-0, winning the first three of those games by an average of 30 points. They beat Seattle 41-35 in their last game Thursday night. Pay a little bit of attention to the defense, though. They allowed Seattle to convert 9 of 14 third down attempts. That's the most all season. Before that, against Washington, a game with Sam Howell at the quarterback, they gave up seven third down conversions. So let's take a look at that. They didn't sack Geno Smith, even though they got to him when they needed to. They stopped uh, Seattle when they were looking to go on a game-winning drive. So we'll see. We'll see. The other two wildcard teams in the NFC, Green Bay, Minnesota, 6-6. Six and six. I would put my leanings toward Green Bay more than Minnesota. Two teams on the outside looking in are the Rams and Seattle at 6-6. Six and six. And then we have the rest of the field being Tampa Bay, New Orleans, the Giants, the Bears, the Commanders, Arizona, and Carolina. Really quickly, I'll get into my Commanders. They have, a, they have an off week. They have a bye week. So I'll get into them a little bit later on. When I do my podcast, because all y'all going to hear me do is talk about how bad they are. Look, if you're a fan, message to you, fan of Tampa Bay, you, fan of Arizona, you, fan of the Jets and the Giants, you, fan of Tennessee, New England, New Orleans, the Chargers and the Raiders. Here's what you need to do, and I'm, I'm an old pro. I'm an old pro at this because again, I'm a Washington Commander fans. It's time to start rooting for your team to lose every game. I have now shifted into, I want my commanders who are currently 4-9, and nine, I want them to finish the season 4-13. and 13. I don't want them to win. I don't want them to lose. And if you're a fan of the New England Patriots, if you're a fan of the Tennessee Titans, if you're a fan of the Arizona Cardinals, if you're a fan of the um, Las Vegas, Vegas Raiders, and notice I didn't mention anything about Carolina because they gave away their first round pick to um, the Chicago Bears to draft Bryce Young instead of C.J. Stroud. Let that sink in. There's no pain. There's no medication to overcome that pain. Knowing that nonsense. We gave away a first-round pick to draft Bryce Young instead of C.J. Stroud, and now we're the worst team in the league, and we can't rectify that mistake. Why? Because when we moved up to draft Bryce Young at number one, we gave away our future first-round draft pick to the Bears. Ooh, that's got to sting. If I'm the Bears, man, I am rooting like hell. Lose, 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 lose. Lose, baby, lose. We get rid of Everflus. We get rid of the GM. If that's the case, we'll get rid of Justin Fields, and we'll have the number one and number two pick in a draft that's going to have quarterbacks like Drake May, Jaden Daniels, Marvin, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. as a wide receiver, but Caleb Williams... So we'll have those type of prospects to choose from in the first five, six, seven picks. Yeah, man, if you're the commanders, if you're the fans of the Buccaneers, lose, lose, lose. Let's lose for Daniels. Let's lose for Williams. Let's lose for May. And look, there's so many ways, especially when you speak about this season, there's so many ways to build an elite football team or or a really good football team that you really shouldn't be concentrating on Man, we got to go with um, a number one draft pick being a quarterback. The best team in the NFL has Mr. Irrelevant as quarterback, right? Now it has tremendous weapons around him, but Brock Purdy was not a number one draft pick, right? He wasn't a fifth round draft pick, right? He was Mr. Irrelevant. And you see what he's doing. That Prescott 
is an MVP candidate. He was a fourth-round pick at the Mississippi State a little while ago, and he's been a stalwart for the for the quarterbacks uh, for the Cowboys for years. So there's many ways. Just because you have the number one pick, just because you have an opportunity to draft a quarterback with the number one or number two pick, that does not mean that they're going to turn out to be Trevor Lawrence. Right? You take a look at Zach Wilson. You take a look at Jameis Winston. You take a look at Marcus Mariota. You take a look. There's more quarterbacks who have busted, who have been drafted in the top 10, top 5, than have um, made good on their expectations of where they were drafted. So I'll get into that a little bit later. I'll get into that, I'll get into that in my next podcast. So, yeah, good deal. All right time for me to get out of here because it's time for me to watch a little NBA basketball. So I want to thank everybody for listening to my podcast again, as always, as I mentioned before, please, for heaven's sake alive, treat everybody with honor, respect, love, empathy, kindness for those who deserve it. You decide on those who deserve it. If they're giving you love, if they're giving you respect, if they're giving you empathy, if they're giving you understanding, if they're giving you intelligence, if they're giving you your heart, if they're giving you those type of things, you do the same. For those who ain't, that's their problem. But regardless of skin color, regardless of gender, regardless of religion, regardless of where they were born, regardless of what language that they speak, regardless of all those things, love is universal, man. Empathy is universal, right? Right? Can we agree on that? So regardless of ethnicity and all that type of stuff, love, peace, respect, circumcise, all those things. Time for me for a little, time for me to get down with a little Donnie Hathaway. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Get me out of here with some music. How much fun it's gonna be together This Christmas The fireside's blazing bright We're caroling through the night And this Christmas Will be A very special Christmas For me and cards are here My world is filled with cheer and you This Christmas And as I look around Your eyes outshine the town they do This Christmas Fireside's blazing bright